Chapter Twenty of Isabel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Isabel, a Romance of the Northern Trail by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty, The Letter. Days and weeks and months of a loneliness which Billy had never known before followed after his pilgrimage to Dean's grave. It was more than loneliness. He had known loneliness, the heartbreak and the longing of it, in the black and silent chaos of the Arctic night. He had almost gone mad of it, and he had seen Pelletier nearly die for a glimpse of the sun and the sound of a voice. But this was different. It was something that ate deeper at his soul each day and each night that he lived. He had believed that thought of Isabel and his memories of her would make him happier, even though he never saw her again. But in this he was mistaken. The wilderness does not lend to forgetfulness, and each day her voice seemed nearer and more real to him, and she became more and more insistently a part of his thoughts. Never an hour of the day passed that he did not ask himself where she was. He hoped that she and the baby Isabel had returned to the old home in Montreal, where they would surely find friends and be cared for. And yet the dread was upon him that she had remained in the wilderness, that her love for Dean would keep her there, and that she would find a woman's work at some post between the height of land and the barrens. At times there possessed him an overwhelming desire to return to McTabb's cabin and find where they had gone. But he fought against this desire as a man fights against death. He knew that once he surrendered himself to the temptation to be near her again, he would lose much that he had won in his struggle during the days of plague in Couchet's cabin. So his feet carried him steadily westward while the invisible hands tugged at him from behind. He did not go straight to Fond du Lac, but spent nearly three weeks with a trapper whom he ran across on the Pipestone River. It was June when he struck Fond du Lac, and he remained there a month. He had more than half expected to pass the winter there, but the factor at the post proved a disagreeable acquaintance, and he did not like the country. So, early in July, he set out deeper into the Athabasca country to the west, followed the northern shore of the Big Lake, and two months later came to Fort Chippewyan, near the mouth of the Slave River. He struck Chippewyan at a fortunate time. A government geological and map-making party was just preparing to leave for the terra incognita between the Great Slave and the Great Bear and the three men who had come up from Ottawa urged Billy to join them. He jumped at the opportunity and remained with them until the party returned to the Mackenzie River by the way of Fort Providence five months later. He remained at Fort Providence until late spring and then came down to Fort Wrigley, where he had several friends in the service. Fifteen months of wandering had had their effect upon him, he could no longer resist the call of the wanderlust. It urged him from place to place, and stronger and stronger grew in him the desire to return to his old country along the shores of the Big Bay far to the west, 
he had partly planned to join the railroad builders on the new transcontinental in the mountains of British Columbia, but in August, instead of finding himself at Edmonton or Tete Jean Cache, he was at Prince Albert, 350 miles to the east. From this point he struck northward with a party of company men into the Lac La Ronge country, and in October swung eastward along through the Sissipuk and Burntwood waterways to Nelson House. He continued northward after a week's rest, and on the 18th of December, the first of two great storms which made the winter of 1909 and 10 one of the most tragic in the history of the far northern people, overtook him thirty miles from York Factory. It took him five days to reach the post, where he was held up for several weeks. These were the first of those terrible weeks of famine and intense cold, during which more than fifteen hundred people died in the North Country. From the barren lands to the edge of the southern watershed, the earth lay under from four to six feet of snow, and from the middle of December until late in January, the temperature did not rise above forty degrees below zero, and remained for the most of the time between fifty and sixty. From all points in the wilderness, reports of starvation and death came to the company's posts. Trap lines could not be followed because of the intense cold. Moose, caribou, and even the furred animals had buried themselves under the snow. Indians and half-breeds dragged themselves into the posts. Twice at York Factory, Billy saw mothers who brought dead babies in their arms. One day a white trapper came in with his dogs and sledge, and on the sledge, wrapped in a bearskin, was his wife, who had died fifty miles back in the forest. During these terrible weeks, Billy found it impossible to keep Isabel and the baby Isabel out of his mind, night or day. The fear grew in him that somewhere in the wilderness they were suffering as others were suffering. So obsessed did he become with the thought that he had a terrible dream one night, and in that dream baby Isabel's face appeared to him, a death-like mask, white and cold and thinned by starvation. The vision decided him. He would go to Fort Churchill, and if McTabb had not been driven in, he would go to his cabin, over on the little beaver, and learn what had become of Isabel and the little girl. A few days later, on the 27th day of January, there came a sudden rise in the temperature, and Billy prepared at once to take advantage of the change. A half-breed on his way to Churchill accompanied him, and they set out together the following morning. On the 20th of February they arrived at Fort Churchill. Billy went immediately to detachment headquarters. There had been several changes in two years, and there was only one of the old force to shake hands with him. His first inquiry was about McTabb and Isabel Dean. Neither was at Churchill, nor had been there since the arrival of the new officer in charge. But there was mail for Billy, three letters. There had been half a dozen others, 
but they were now following up his old trails somewhere out in the wilderness. These three had been returned recently from Fond du Lac. One was from Pelletier, the fourth he had written, he said, without an answer. The kid had come, a girl, and he wondered if Billy was dead. The second letter was from his cobalt partner. The third he turned over several times before he opened it. It did not look much like a letter. It was torn and ragged at the edges, and was so soiled and water-stained that the address on it was only partly legible. It had been to Fond du Lac, and from there it had followed him to Fort Chippewyan. He opened it and found that the writing inside was scarcely more legible than the inscription on the envelope. The last words were quite plain, and he gave a low cry when he found that it was from Rookie McTab. He went close to a window and tried to make out what McTab had written. Here and there, where water had not obliterated the writing, he could make out a line or a few words. Nearly all was gone but the last paragraph, and when Billy came to this and read the first words of it, his heart seemed all at once to die within him, and he could not see. Word by word he made out the rest after that, and when he was done, he turned his stony face to the white whirl of the storm outside the window, his lips as dry as though he had passed through a fever. A part of that last paragraph was unintelligible, but enough was left to tell him what had happened in the cabin down on the little beaver. McTab had written, We thought she was getting well, took sick again, did everything, could but it didn't do any good. Died just five weeks to a day after you left. We buried her just behind the cabin. God, that kid. You don't know how I got to love her, Billy. Give her up. McTab had written a dozen lines after that, but all of them were a water-stained and unintelligible blur. Billy crushed the letter in his hand. The new inspector wondered what terrible news he had received as he walked out into the blinding chaos of the storm. End of chapter 20 Recording by Roger Moline